let's continue worshiping the Lord now and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing our series here we're calling Thriving in Exile and today we're going to talk about preparing for action. Let me ask this question as we get going, what is the Christian life all about? Is the Christian life really just about personal fulfillment? Is the Christian life really just the ultimate self-help system? Is the Christian life really just about improving my circumstances here on the earth? Or is it about me just trying to become a better me? There are some voices out there and they claim that that is really what it's about. You can have your best life now that if you come to Jesus, you're going to have a happier, healthier, more prosperous you. And that seems to be the end of the gospel for them. Now, it is true. If you come to know Jesus, there is no joy and fulfillment like knowing Jesus even now. But if you choose to follow Jesus on this earth, you are not promised a life of applause or acceptance or affluence. If you are among those who turn from your sin and begin to follow Jesus, we are pro promised this, that we are having to live counterculturally. To live as a Christian in this age and every age until Jesus comes again is to really swim against the tide. And so there are difficulties and challenges and opposition here. That's what we're promised in the scripture. But in the end, through our faith in Jesus, everlasting life. So Peter is reminding Christians here in 1 Peter that believers live as exiles on the earth. Even if you're in your own hometown, you are in exile on the earth. This is not your true home. Peter acknowledges in this letter that suffering for Christ is normal. In fact, Peter himself will be killed for Christ not long after writing 1st and 2nd Peter. So he wrote 1st Peter, this one that we're studying first here, around AD 63. Christians already were experiencing rising persecution. AD 64, Nero takes the throne and the persecution against Christians will intensify greatly. In fact, it was in Nero's persecution where Peter himself would be martyred. He died around AD 67 or 68. So we're talking just a matter of a few years from the time he writes these letters to where he gives his life for Christ. Also interestingly is that Peter's death as a martyr was not going to be a surprise to Peter. Jesus, after the resurrection in John 21, tells Peter, you're going to die for me. Remember this occasion? This is John 21, 18 and following. We're on our way to our text in 1 Peter, but listen to this. Jesus said to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Listen to this. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So think about Peter. He lived years knowing that at some point in the plan of God, he was going to die for Jesus. Even the stretching out his hands, signifying a, a type of, of crucifixion that Peter would go through himself for Christ. And so here about 30 years after Peter hears that from Jesus and he's talking to other struggling Christians, he's telling them in this, in these rising difficulties, here's what you must do. Here's our mission on the earth. So today we're going to talk about preparing our minds. Here's our text. First Peter one verses 13 through 16. Therefore prepare your minds for action and being sober minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter here begins this section with that word, therefore, which points you back to what he's just been talking about. And so he's saying this, in light of all the blessings that are yours, now that you are followers of Christ, then this is what you are to do. Now, what were some of those blessings that Peter has just given us in these first verses up through verse 12? Among these blessings is that we are the chosen people of God. Remember, he said, you are exiles, but you are elect exiles. You've experienced great mercy from God. He has caused you to be born again. Remember that? He's given you a living hope. You have an imperishable inheritance kept safely in heaven for you. You have a faith that's more precious than gold, and you have experienced the salvation of your souls. And so Peter says, now, therefore, because that's true, here's what you must do. And the first thing he says here is prepare your mind. Prepare your mind. Literally in the Greek, it's gird up the loins of your mind. The translators rightly bring that over in English in a way that we would understand it. Prepare your mind for action because we don't know what to do with the phrase gird up your loins. But they would have in the first century gird up your loins. So, you know, in those days they wore those long flowing garments like robe-like garments. And so you can't run well in those. You can't work really well in those. So when they were going to do something strenuous, when they were going to run, they would gird those up. They would fasten up that garment, tie it up around their waist. That was what they, that was the expression gird up your loins. We see an example of that phrasing. In 1 Kings 18, 46, then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. So if you're going to run fast, you better gird up your loins, tie up the garment around your waist so you can move. And Peter picks up that language and he says, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. This is what you do as a Christian on the earth until Jesus comes again. It's not passive. It's not laziness. Get ready. There's something for you to do here. And part of this is being sober-minded. Notice what he says next, being sober-minded. So understand, action is called for in this life as a Christian. Understand the times and the challenges in which you live. We're going to see in a moment, understand the hope you have in Jesus when Jesus comes. But until then, understand there is a mission for God's people on the earth. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded about that. Understand there are challenges and oppositions until Jesus comes, and that's not going to deter us. We're not in a retreat mode until Jesus comes. No, there's a mission that we carry out. Wes and Chris are two of our members, and they serve overseas in a place we don't talk about publicly, but there they are for the gospel. And this week, Wes reached out to me and told me about a podcast, and so uh, I enjoyed listening to this podcast. It's called Amazon to the Himalayas, and one of the interviews was Wes, and uh, I, I greatly enjoyed just hearing more of his story again and, and what it's like to serve where he serves and what God's doing in that part of the world and very encouraging. And let me just commend that to you uh, to remind ourselves as we talk about preparing our minds for action, as we talk about, uh, about being sober-minded, isn't it good to remind ourselves about what life is about? There's a mission that you and I are a part of. Let me commend another podcast to you. It's called The Briefing by Albert Moeller. And a number of us listen to that daily to understand what's happening from a biblical standpoint. So one of them keeps the Great Commission in the front of your mind, how God calls people, sustains people, the ends of the earth, and how that's so normal and we need to be a part of that. But the other one is, all right, here's the context right here in the United States. 
and the opposition that's rising against a biblical understanding of things. So you and I need to be sober-minded about our purpose, about our mission. And we need to understand that life is not merely about accumulating things. So we need to force our minds, oh yeah, I need to be clear-headed about why I'm here and why I'm not here. Life's not about accumulation. It's not merely about sports and entertainment or dreaming about retirement. We need to gird up the loins of our minds. And the most important way to do that is what we talk about all the time around here is to meet with God daily with an open Bible. See, how, how would I gird up my mind for action? I got to meet with God. I got to see what's important to the heart of God. I need to report for duty every morning. Here I am, Lord, I understand what life's about, or I don't understand what it's about, but you keep telling me what it's about, and I want to report for duty and then serve you like this. So gird up the loins of your mind in the Word of God. And, and so the opposite of being sober-minded is to be intoxicated. And so we know those who are intoxicated through drugs and alcohol can bring great ruin to themselves, but you and I can become intoxicated with other things, just merely other distractions in life. People can wreck themselves, yes, with drugs and alcohol, being intoxicated, but you can just live your life wasting it, ruining yourself. In fact, one of the things that concerns me greatly during the pandemic, though we haven't missed a beat, have you noticed? We've had to flex and do things differently, but there hasn't been a Sunday in the pandemic when we have not worshiped. We've done it online, we've done it in person, we've done it hybrid, we keep going. And, and we have not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together. We've been doing it and God's been showing up and doing great things. But I am concerned about those who've taken the year off, who haven't been worshiping. And just, well, it's not, it's not easy for me, or I'm annoyed about something, so I won't do it. I'm very concerned about that. Or those who won't have their teenagers worship, like go a whole year, and we're just not going to engage. And it's been here, we've been doing it, very concerned. That's the opposite of being alert. That's becoming intoxicated with something else. It's the opposite of what we're told to do. We must be sober-minded. So this is no time to be unclear in your mind about what your purpose is on the earth. It's no time to be unclear about what's true and good and biblical. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Listen to this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So here in this world, what do I do? I need to prepare my mind for action. Secondly, Peter says, and now set your hope. Prepare your mind, now set your hope. Verse 13 again. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we saw in verse 3 that we have been born again to a living hope. And so that means we have a present hope even now that the Lord is with us, He's in us, He's working through us. You and I can have a calm and joyful assurance even in a difficult world. But not only do we have a present living hope, but Peter says now you have a future hope. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, even, even there is our ultimate hope when Jesus returns. So last time we talked about how we know Jesus, we love Jesus, we believe in Jesus, even though we haven't seen him. But Peter, after talking about how you don't know him, you don't see him yet, but you, but you know him and love him. Oh, there's coming a time, notice the wording, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You will see him. He'll be revealed to you then. And there is your ultimate hope. Living hope now. Future hope, then, how wonderful it's going to be. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess and we will rejoice. So those who have not believed, a great day of regret for them when Jesus is revealed and comes. But for us, great hope for us. And so here's a reminder for us to, to place our faith in the right place. And let me ask you, where is your faith in these days? 
So we've just come off the NFL draft. And if you've followed some of that, it's the same thing annually. Every team's excited about these college football players and coming in and, and they're looking for a savior for their team, right? I mean, lots of money on the line and everybody's strategizing and, and sometimes it works out. They get a great player for their team, but every year there are those that they call, sadly, they call these young men busts. It just didn't work out. Well, maybe next year we'll go back to the draft and maybe we'll find somebody who will bring hope back to our franchise. And, but often it leads to disappointment. But you and I are not putting our hope in such things. We will not be disappointed. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And I love this. He's bringing more grace when he comes. Notice the words here. He says, there will be grace that will be brought to you. So that's how we came into this relationship with Jesus. We just celebrated it at the Lord's table that we've experienced this, this grace of God. How kind is he? But we're told that when Jesus comes for us, he's bringing more grace. Can you stand it? That's amazing. Lord, this is already good. Your love is already better than anything else. And you're telling me that I should have my hope in you. When you're coming again, you're bringing more grace, more blessing. Oh, that is the perspective of a believer. We should be preparing our minds and we should be setting our hope in his direction. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's going to get a lot better. And so as God's people, we need to have our faith in the right place. Reading in the Old Testament these days in my personal reading, you see that God over and over again warns and rebukes his people when they put their faith in someone other than him. So many times when Israel was threatened, they'd go looking for alliances with pagan nations. Well, let me turn to Egypt. Maybe Egypt can save us this time. And God was saying, you shouldn't do that. You need to turn back to me. You need to repent and put your hope in me. So in a time of rising opposition in our culture, we need to keep our eyes lifted up. Our hope is in the Lord. Let me tell you some places where I don't have my hope. My hope is not in politicians. I certainly vote, and we, it's important for all of us to vote. Certainly, I think it would be foolish to vote in your persecutors. But, so we need to vote carefully in these days. But, but ultimately, our hope is not in any politician on the state level or nationally. Uh, but we, we know there's, there's danger there, but ultimately our hope is in God. Our hope also is not in the majority of voters. I heard somebody on the radio the other day just say this. He said, I, I, he said the American people, they always eventually get it right. I don't believe that. <laughs> My hope is not in the majority of Americans all of a sudden saying, you know what? We don't love unrighteousness. I don't believe that my hope is in the like, yeah, we're all going to go with righteousness now. We're all going to turn away from unrighteousness. No, the scripture says that men love darkness rather than light. I can't put my hope in a next election, though I certainly hope things go in different ways. Not only this, how about this? My hope is not in a location on the earth. Maybe you're like me. You've had moments and you see the craziness and the insanity and the, the chaos of our culture and, and the things that are being called for. You think, this is just so ungodly. And, and have you ever had this impulse? Where can I go other than here? And having traveled around the world a good bit earlier in my life, I start thinking about places I've been where it would be better than this and where this is heading, you know, and the persecution that's coming, you know, where would I go? And you know, I can't find a place. Can't find a place. So have you ever done this? I think I want to move to another state. I want to go to a different state. Some of you have been thinking this way. I want to go to another state. And, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that you go to another state and things are going to be righteous. It's not going to be heaven there. So what, what does God do when you start thinking, where can I go? Where can I run? Where everything's going to be like, I like it. You go, you know what? It's heaven. <laughs> so I have to fix my hope fully on the grace that's going to be coming when Jesus comes again. There's our hope. I don't need to be running from anything. 
That's not what Peter's advocating here. Hey, go run. Go find someplace else to go where you're going to like it, where everybody's righteous. No, we're here. So gird up the loins of your mind. Ready your mind for action. There's a mission here, right here where God has planted us. And our hope, where's our hope? Oh, it's in Christ and what's coming. And it's going to be so good. So prepare your mind, set your hope, and then this, walk in holiness. So what do I do in ungodly age? What do I do with rising persecution? Well, one of the things you do is walk in holiness. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, catch this, in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter has instructed us in these days how to think Peter has instructed us here where to hope, and now he tells you how to live. And he says, as obedient children. So don't believe the voices sometimes showing up in different corners of Christianity. Oh, no, you can be holy and disobedient at the same time. You don't have to follow exactly what the scripture says, and you can still be holy. We hear voices in these days talking in the realm of sexual immorality. Some people say, you know, faithful Christians can disagree on what's good and bad sexually. Faithful Christians can disagree. You'd have to redefine the word faithful for that to be true. There are people who disagree, but not faithful Christians. What if, what if you told your child, I want you to go out and cut the grass? And your child said no and said, faithful children disagree on what that means when a parent says cut the grass. Would you be impressed as a parent? Well, I guess so. I guess people sometimes disagree with plain spoken words. That'd be the same thing we say that, you know, who, who can know? Who can know? Faithful people can disagree. No, the, the Bible's so clear on so many of these issues, certainly in the realm of sexual morality, sexual purity. 66 books of the Bible, there's no contradiction there, what we know here. And so it's just being dishonest. It's disobedience. It's not unclear. So we must be obedient children in these days. Now understand, we came to Christ, not through our works, not through our obedience. We came to Christ through faith. We put our trust in him. We've received a free gift of eternal life in Christ. But now that we are the children of God, we must be obedient to the Lord. It's a mark that you've been born again, that you now want to obey the Lord. And when you find in your heart, oh, I, I want to obey, but I find that I don't want to obey at the same time. And you've had that experience. You're distressed by that. It's a mark that you've been born again. So when you're not wanting to obey, it's, it's this same, this new dynamic. Well, now I want to want to obey. What's wrong with my heart that I want to disobey the God who loved me? So, Lord, I want to want to obey you. Help me with my dark heart. That's a mark that you've been born again, that struggle that's now in you. You're not at peace now in Christ when you find yourself in disobedience. So you might try to rationalize it. Oh, I, this is okay. I'm sure God's okay with this. But the Holy Spirit who's living in you now that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, he's not letting you get away with that. Like, nope, that's got to go. He's calling you to holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. He lives in you now, and he's calling you, sanctifying you, bringing you out of that. So we are to be obedient children, Peter said, in this, in this world. Notice again, this means we're not peers of God. He's the father. We're the children. And that relationship is always spoken of that way in the Bible. He's the creator, and we are the created ones. He's the potter, and we are the clay. He's the father, we are the children. So we're not peers of God. And notice this, let's remind ourselves that children are to honor and obey their parents. Earthly children are to obey their parents in the Lord, and we're to obey our Father in heaven. We know this, that rebellious children bring heartache and disgrace to their families. 
And we want no part of that with our Father in heaven. We don't want to bring embarrassment or disgrace to our Father in heaven. We want to be obedient children. So Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So Peter points out here how we are going to be tempted to not be obedient. It's going to be through our ongoing ungodly desires. So as a Christian, you have experienced this. You have felt in your life, as have I, a pull back to the old way that you used to live. It's not just you. We all deal with our sinful flesh. We've been made new. We have this new nature that wants to obey the Lord. But this ongoing struggle that, that disappoints us and we're ashamed of it. Like, why, why, why would I still be pulling in this direction? It's alarming. You think, I love Jesus now. Why would I even have a moment where I would want to pull in the opposite direction? Well, Peter here brings up, you have these passions of your former ignorance. I love the classic hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It so humbly just brings it out there. And we've sung it before. Remember these words? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, old, and take and seal it with thy spirit from above. Rescued thus from sin and danger, purchased by the Savior's blood. May I walk on earth a stranger as a son and heir of God. But we've all experienced that. What is this unholy pull that still resides in my heart that makes me want to pull away? And Peter says, don't be conformed to those. You're going to have those impulses. You're going to have those ungodly passions in you, but don't be conformed to them. Here's a reminder, unlike what we're told in the culture, that your appetites do not define you. There are many appetites, desires that you'll have that you need to subdue. Biblically, we're to, we're to count them as crucified, put them to death. Our passions are not to rule over us. Christ is to rule over us. So don't be conformed to your lustful desires. Submit yourself and your body to Christ. Don't be conformed to your greedy appetites. Submit all you have to Christ. Do not be conformed to your angry impulses. Submit your will and your rights and your emotions to Christ. Don't be conformed to your addictions. Submit yourself to Christ and seek his freedom. So before Christ, you were, as Peter says, you were ignorant. These were desires that went along with your ignorance, but now you've been brought into the light. You've been transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And now your eyes are open, so don't conform to the old ways. And now this but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Notice the words here, underline it, all your conduct or all your behavior. Let you and I not succumb to a sort of obedient mentality. Easy to slip into that one. Well, I'm sort of obedient. I'm more of obedient than I once was. I'm more obedient than a lot of other people. I'm sort of, I'm sort of holy. I'm sort of aspiring to holiness. This is just my area of indulgence. I know this is wrong, but nobody's perfect. And so I'll just kind of hang on to this in my life. That's not the call here. Be holy in all your conduct. So don't succumb, succumb to a sort of obedient mentality and don't succumb to a division between, well, here's the public me and here's the private me. I'll, I'll act holy in public, but in private, I'm gonna be doing some things that I don't want anybody else to know about it. That's not what we're called to here. In all your conduct. So, so what would be our motivations for holiness here? When there's so much temptation present in the culture and even within us. Well, our motivations for holiness, first of all, that we're motivated out of love for God. This one who gave his life for us, aren't you motivated to want to follow him? Nobody loves you more. So this motivates me. I, I love God. I do want to follow him. And I want to please my father. 
And when we came to faith, we said, he's my savior, but he's also my Lord. We signed on for that. I, I want to obey him. It's what I'm supposed to do. Disappointed when I don't obey him. And so motivated by love for God. But how about this one? Secondarily motivated by fear of God. Do you have that in you? Where you recognize, I fear my father's discipline. I know as a Christian, I won't lose my salvation when I disobey, but, but I am fearful of his discipline. Like a child fears a good father who brings discipline. I'm afraid of God withholding his hand of blessing. That's one way he disciplines us. We get in disobedience and uh, I, I, want his, I want his blessing in my life. He could withhold that from me as a discipline for me being disobedient and stubborn in that. Or he could apply his hand of discipline on me. And I don't, I don't want that. Verse 17, which we'll look at next time, alludes to that type of fear. But remember our context here. We're talking about Christians living in increasing hostility against them because of Christ. There's no time to have sin in your life, reigning in your life, when you need God so much in a hostile time like they were living in and that we're increasingly living in. Don't you want to walk in holiness with the Lord? Because that's where intimacy with Christ is. Because when you and I sin, what are we saying to God? Because we're not in ignorance. When we sin as Christians, we're saying, God, I don't want you right now. I don't want you in my life. You just, you just go over there. There's some things I want to do over here, and I want to be apart from you. It's the ultimate foolishness when we as the children of God act that way. And it's a foolish thing to do because we live in such dire and difficult times. We don't want to be apart from him. We want to walk in the light. That's where God is and God, I want you. If that's where you are, I'm going to join you in the light. I see a complete incompatibility with my temptations to sin and you and where you are. Notice again, God calls us to holiness. This one who calls you to salvation he calls you to holiness, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So the God who called you to salvation, he calls you to holiness. And the standard of holiness is God himself. And in the word of God, he tells you what is holy, what is good. So as his beloved children, let's bind ourselves to Christ, our Lord, and be intent on full obedience through his help. And how about this? And when, when we do sin, and as his children, we do, what's our move? Immediately, you and I are to confess our sins to him, which means to agree with him. God, I was, I was wrong. I was foolish. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. Or I can't believe I resisted doing what you told me to do. And so, Lord, I own that. That was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And don't you love the promise? He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so here's good news as we wrap up this morning. Salvation is possible for unholy human beings like us. There wasn't a single one of us that were clean and holy and worthy of God when he came for us. And so the good news of the gospel that we just celebrated at the Lord's table a moment ago is that we have a God who comes for sinners like us, who rebelled against him, sinned millions of times. Here's a God who comes in great mercy and he offered his son for us. And if you would believe in Jesus Christ, put all of your hope in him, you will be declared righteous clean, holy in the sight of God. There's good news. God brings salvation to sinners like us. But how about this? Also Christian victory is possible. He wouldn't call us to this walk of holiness if it were not possible. Imperfect on our side, of course, but we are to abide in Christ. We are to abide in fellowship with other people. Notice he writes to the church. He writes to these scattered churches across that part of the Roman Empire. And so don't try to live out this life as a child of God and as an obedient child of God on your own. Come to Jesus. Let him cleanse you. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Let him live his life through you, the fruit of the Spirit on display. But also, I'll turn to a brother and sister this week and say, would you help me walk this walk? 
of holiness in a difficult world. That's what your life group is all about. So we urge you to get into a life group where other people will know you and pray for you and you can ask for help and you can give help to one another. Let's pray together.